This is the audience participation moment of the morning. Are you ready? You did not know Andrew was springing a pop quiz on you. Here's how this game is going to work. I'm going to say the name of a famous good guy, and you're going to have to say the name of the bad guy, the arch nemesis of that good guy. Okay, ready for the softball? Here we go. Superman. Lex Luthor. Good job. First service knew that one too. All right. Batman. The Joker. Yeah, there's lots of bad guys. Okay, you're waking up. First service was more awake than you are right now. Just, I don't know if you should feel challenged by that. Okay, um, you have uh, Robin Hood versus? The sheriff. the sheriff. Yeah, the sheriff of Nottingham. Okay, you can say stuff. It's okay, guys. It's a good church. Yeah. All right. Um, Luke Skywalker versus? Darth Vader, a little bit louder, okay? Darth Vader, are you ready for the thing that I've waited to bust out in a sermon for years? I've just been waiting for this, the opportunity. Thank you, thank you, thank you, yes, yeah. No, uh, it's, these are epic stories, right, of good guys and bad guys. I got one more for you, Moses versus Pharaoh. Good job. So stories like that are important. Stories of good guys and bad guys. We, we grew up, like we spend millions of dollars to make these movies, right? To write these books and we read stories, we watch movies, we tell them to our children, we read little fairy tales. And this is what um, the theologian ph philosopher C.S. Lewis said about why we need to do that. Because there was like a day and an age where they were like, well, should we, you know, start reading these things to our children, or maybe back in the 40s, they were trying to cancel some of these things. And C.S. Lewis said, well, hang on. It's important that we tell our children stories about good and evil, because it is important for them to hear about knights slaying dragons, because they need to know that dragons can be slain. They need to know that good guys can win, that bad guys can lose. Because as we live in this world, there's a lot of dragons out there, right? There's a lot of bad guys. There's a lot of things. How long does it take us? We scroll through any news outlet, and how long does it take us to find something that is telling the story of the brokenness of the world in which we live? And one of the things I love about the Bible, and one of the things I love about God, is he's not surprised by any of that. And he meets us in the middle of it. And so maybe if you are asking questions, you're like, what kind of a world is this? You are in good company. Because everybody's been asking that question for a very long time. And I think there is a source of hope to respond to that. So um, as we dig into God's word today, let's pray and take a minute. Father God, uh, we breathe you in and we breathe you out. God, we ask that your spirit would fill our lives, that your spirit would fill our hearts. God, we ask that your word um, would show us places where we can grow. God, we ask that you would show us how to be your people. God, that you would help us to live in a way so that we could follow you. It is in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, my name is Andrew Bullock. I am the associate pastor here at Dallas Church, and we are in a series through the book of Matthew. We are actually in a very long journey this year, okay? This is, this is my contribution 
to the world of preaching is I'm working on coining the term a multi-series journey. So if you're going to use that phrase, you know, from now on, I'm going to get like 10 cents from that, right? But uh, so we are going through the book of Matthew because um, what better book of the Bible, like what better story for us to spend a year focusing on if we say that we're Jesus followers, right? Because that's what Christian means than the story of what Jesus actually said and did and taught. And so I realize that it is not December right now, okay? I know this, and I know that there's somehow, like, you want to think about who made the rule that we can only preach on Matthew's chapters, like, one and two in December? Like, who made that rule? Because at Dallas Church, like, we're throwing that playbook out. And so I just, I will tell you, it's okay. Nobody's showing up in their Christmas sweater, We know that this is an opportunity for us, I think, to approach the Christmas story from um, a a perspective where we can maybe put aside some of the tinsel and the treats of it all. We can put aside some of the cutesiness that comes with Christmas, and we can maybe see that the Christmas story has teeth. It's real. It, It shakes up the world. Like, there's a reason we're talking about it. 2,000 years later. This year at Christmas, um, my daughter was just about, she just turned two yesterday, so she was almost two when we're doing Christmas um, devotions together. We had our little Advent wreath and our little Fisher Price Little People Nativity set, which is adorable, right? And we got little like chunky wise men figures that are bringing the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. And we, we got to the point where we could tell the two-year-old, we're like, okay, who is this? Well, that's baby Jesus. Who's that? That's baby Jesus's mommy. Okay, well, who's that? That's Joseph, the daddy. Okay, we're going to talk about that when we get a little bit older. But uh, this is the angel. But do you know what I did not include in the story? Was the part where Herod commits genocide against a preschool class. Like, I decided that was not a moment that we were going to have in family devotions. Like, we're just going to sing away in a manger right now. But can we, like, take a minute and go, whoa, the Christmas story is a little disturbing. Like, where it ends is kind of interesting, because, like, I'm not seeing a whole lot of peace on earth, goodwill towards men in this passage, right? And I'm, I'm so grateful that Haley read it, because um, I do want to kind of recap, bring you um, up to speed, right? So we know the story. There's an angel that comes to Mary, and, and he tells her, right, that she will be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. God will become a human. And it says, Emmanuel, God with us. And if you have any questions about how that works, you can talk to Pastor Ben, because he knows the answer, and he already preached on it. So I don't even have to touch that right now. It's great. But then you've got uh, Mary and Joseph, they have to go to Bethlehem, and then you've got these wise men that come from afar, right? The wise men come, how many wise men are there? Three, well, there are three gifts. This is the trick question, guys, I'm sorry. That was a trap. There are three gifts, who knows how many wise men? But there's enough that, like, the whole of Jerusalem is disturbed when they show up. And then the wise men, which I don't even know if I can call them that, they make a really dumb decision. Because they go to Herod, and they walk up to the king, and they say, yay, where's the new king? And that's awkward. Because the king is looking at them going like, you're looking at him. I am the king, 
And Herod is a scary guy. Herod is not like a good, you know, follow Jesus. There's lots of kings in the Bible, and some of them, they're like, yeah, this king, he did good. And they're like, this king, he was awful. Well, Herod's one of those bad ones because he would do anything and everything to protect his power. So the Magi go up to Herod, and they say, okay, where's the king? And he says, well, how about you go find him for me? And you come back and you tell me where this baby king is so that I can go and bow down and worship him. And we all know that Herod's lying in that moment because he has other plans for this baby king. And then the wise men show up and give like the weirdest baby shower presents as they're like, here's gold, frankincense, myrrh. I hope your toddler enjoys this. Like, but they give this to Mary and Joseph and then the wise men are warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. So finally, they're making some wise and good decisions. Thank you, wise men. So they don't go back to Herod, and then an angel comes to Joseph and says, rise up, take Mary and baby Jesus, and get out of Dodge, right? Go down to Egypt, and here's the deal. When you have, like, the God of the universe in flesh sleeping in the crib beside you, and an angel says, you're going on a road trip, guess what, everybody? You're going on a road trip. That's how that works. So they, they pack up everything, they get out, they go down to Egypt, and Herod realizes that he has been outsmarted by the wise men, but he doesn't realize that he's been outsmarted by God. And so he sends his soldiers to kill the baby boys in Bethlehem at that time. Now, um, we don't have an extra biblical record of this event other than just like in the Bible. That's the only place where you can find references to this. And just to give you some perspective, if you do the math on how many people would have probably lived in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas, we're talking about uh, 20 to 30 children, which is terrifying, but also not that out of character for Herod in the ancient world. See, there's, there's an apocryphal statement, probably not actually said by a Roman senator, but it's been passed down because it really sums it up. But because Herod was Jewish, the, the Roman senator looked at Herod and said, it is better to be his pig than his son. Because Herod was always killing off his sons, but because he's Jewish, he's not allowed to eat bacon. So, so that, like, that just kind of sums it up. And, and what is Herod? Like he's, he's this powerful person who feels threatened and when he is threatened, when his comfort, his power, his control over his life is threatened, he lashes out and does evil. And that's, that's just who he is. That's what he does. So instead of raising up his sons to become the next kings and doing like the, you know, Mufasa Simba thing and like all the light touches, like that scene, he's like, we're going to kill off the sons so that I can hang on to the crown just a little bit longer. And that's awful. But I think that's a little bit of a mirror for us to look at our own hearts. Because here's what I know about me. When I'm afraid, when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when my comfort, my control over a situation is threatened, I lash out. I do bad. The moments where I am not being the person that I want to be, a lot of times I am guided by fear. I'm afraid that I'm not going to have enough. I'm afraid of surrender. And so 
So here's Herod in the middle of all this, and he lashes out and commits something terrible. And then later, God calls Joseph and Mary back to Nazareth. And that's the end of the Christmas story. You're welcome. Have a good Sunday. We'll see you later. No, not really. Because what has Matthew done here? See, Matthew is like one of the ultimate Old Testament Bible nerds. And he took the story of Jesus, and he has marinated it in the Old Testament. He has steeped this story in the imagination and the themes and what the Old Testament would teach us about what it means to follow God. Matthew has woven that in to the story of Jesus. Just like, um, see, I like to make really good steaks at my house. I like to grill. And what do I do with those steaks? I put them in marinade, right? And they sit. And so then, when you go to eat them, you come over to my house, now you're all going to be disappointed when I don't have a marinated steak for you when you come over. But, uh, like, the flavor is in there, and there's all these callbacks to all the flavors that got in there. That's what Matthew's doing, because he's layered the stories here. And I have a graphic to show you, produced by Andrew Bullock Studios Incorporated, that um, is very fancy. But what Matthew has done is he has layered the Old Testament stories on this New Testament story. Because when you hear in the Bible about an evil king that is threatened because of his power, because a chosen one is going to come and save all the people, and he has all the baby boys killed. What is that reminding you of? That's Pharaoh. That's the story of Moses. Because what does Pharaoh do? Well, he looks out and sees the nation of Israel and how God is blessing them, and he says, these guys are a threat to my comfort to my way of life. And so he enslaves the people of Israel, and then he hires some Hebrew midwives to start killing off the baby boys when the Hebrew women are giving birth to children. And these wise women outsmart Pharaoh because they come back later, they're like, sorry, every time we go to the delivery room, like the baby's already there. There's nothing we can do. And so they outsmart him. They go a different way. Do you see what's happening here? And so then Pharaoh decides, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the law. All the Hebrew baby boys, they go in the Nile River, and we're going to kill them off. And Moses' parents follow that law because they do put baby Moses in the river. They're just the only ones that think of, well, we're going to put him in a boat when we do. So they put him in a basket. And he goes down the river, and God is watching this chosen child, right? This one who's going to be raised up to save all the people. And God is moving his plan despite evil power structures that get in the way. Well, why does that matter? Like, yes, it's cool. It's a callback to the Old Testament. But I think if we meditate on this, and if we sit with this, I think there is a mirror here. Because when was the last time that you are hungry, or tired, or sad, or grumpy, when you were afraid, or you were threatened, and you lashed out at somebody. Because we've all done it. That's the human condition. As a, as a pastor, I have this conversation with people sometimes where they say, ooh, um, let's not pray for patience. Because what happens if you pray for patience? God might give you the chance to be patient 
and as Americans, we can't stand that. How dare you take three days to ship a package? Right? How dare this line take any longer than two seconds? Like, we, we, are, an, we are an interesting species as humans. And we say, man, well, and I, I, like, I talk to Christians about this. I say this stuff. I'm like, oh, man, well, I don't want to pray for, you know, love or joy because I don't want an opportunity to be able to manifest these things. And at what point did we decide that we would rather have Netflix and nachos than the fruit of the Spirit in our life? We're like, I want to be comfy. God, please stretch me and grow me and use me, but don't make me uncomfortable. Just leave me right where I am and keep everything the same, but please change my life for the better. How often do we go to God like that? Because here's what, I, here's what I know about Herod. Herod understood the gospel. Herod understood the truth about Jesus. Because when the wise men came and they told him, they said, okay, there's a baby king who's been born. Herod knew that means everything is different now. That means that this news shakes the whole world to the foundation of its core. And Herod understood better than many Americans that walk into churches on Sunday morning, that this makes a difference. Because what I have seen the church in America do, and what I have kind of grown up in, and what I have done, is that when we say the gospel, that's a super churchy phrase, we're like, man, what are you? Well, I believe in the gospel. We mean that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, and now offers us salvation so we can just take that salvation, like a little insurance policy for the afterlife, put it in our wallet, and sit on it until later. We get the opportunity to go to eternal Disneyland when we die. And the truth of the gospel is that it changes everything right now. It shakes our whole life. Everything that we would build, and I do think, I think there is a little... Herod in, in the middle of our hearts that understands that the truth of the gospel, that Jesus has come and Jesus is king, means everything is different. The way that we handle money, completely different. The way that we approach relationships, completely different. Our talents and abilities, completely different. One of my, my favorite definitions um, for the church when I was um, in year one of Bible college is that the church is a heaven colony. And that sounds kind of weird, and I'm, I'm trying to play with your definitions of things. I'm trying to expand what we think of. But we are supposed to be, as a church, as a community, like we are supposed to be living the kingdom of God right here and right now. And so I wonder, how would it change our world if when we were talking to people who don't follow Jesus, and they're like, well, what do you believe? Well, I believe there should be nobody who's hungry. I believe there should be no abuse in the world. I believe that God made all humans with dignity and honor, and we should treat them as such. How crazy would it be in our world if people live that way? Right? That's game changer. And so Herod, of course, he's threatened because the gospel is news that changes everything. It was a completely different, uh, completely different news when someone came to me 
right? The nurse is holding a baby and she says, guess what? You're a dad. Like everything is completely changed. That was so different from when my buddy was like, I got the tickets, we're going on Friday, it's great. Completely different news. And so what Matthew is doing here is he's showing us that God is moving in this way. And I think, I think Herod is so smart because he knows the right answer because he says it. He tells the wise men, you go find the baby so that I can worship him. So that I can surrender. He says the right answer. And he doesn't do it. And I think there's a mirror in there for us to think about. And as if that's not heavy enough, let's keep going, right? Because um, the next thing that he layers, that Matthew puts in, is this idea of calling him out of Egypt. That's what he quotes from the um, prophet Hosea. He says, um, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So that's the next layer that he's going to add to this story. Because what happens to baby Jesus? He goes down to Egypt, and that is a mirroring, as he's running away from the bad king, the story of Moses. Because Moses comes to the people of Israel, and where are they? Like, they're slaves in Egypt. They are living in the power structures of the dark and sinister world. And God has more for them. God wants them to come out of Egypt. Because God has always been calling his people out of the place that they find themselves. See, Egypt becomes this language. Later they might even say Babylon. Because here's what I know about every one of us. We all have bumps and bruises on our soul. We've been hurt. We have hurt others. And that's Egypt. Right there. It's, it's the water we swim in. We don't even notice it. Because human rebellion against God always creates Egypt. We have been um, hurt and wrestled with addiction and with sin. We have come up in destructive family systems. We have had moments when we needed love from someone else and we didn't get it. We have been in Egypt. We have been stuck in dead-end jobs. We have been drowning in debt. We have wrestled with purposelessness, we have wrestled with depression. We've been afraid. Does any of that sound like your experience? Does any of that sound like the experience of people that you love? Because here's what I know. We have all been in Egypt. And what does God do? God calls his son out of Egypt. He goes and gets his kids. That's what he does. When I was seven years old, my, um, my mom gave birth to my youngest brother three months premature. And so my parents were basically full-time in the hospital for three months. And so every day I would get up and I would pack my backpack and I had no idea whose house I was going to. Was I going to grandma's? Was I going with friends? And like, it was, they were safe people. This was not a terrible situation. My parents were looking out for me. But what that did to my little seven-year-old heart is I didn't want to be there. I was, I was afraid. I wanted my family to be together. I wanted my brother and my mom to be safe. And there's just this deep 
um, I, can, I can kind of just feel those emotions to this day as I tell the story because there was this deep hope and so much joy that happened in my heart when my dad would pick me up at the end of the day because I knew in that tough situation and all the fear and all the scariness, my dad would come get his kids. And what we believe as a church and what we believe when we take communion every week is that God came and got his kids. Is that when we live in Egypt, when we live in the, the rough situation, we live in the battle with the everyday darkness, we believe we have hope because God has called us out into something more. See, the actual name of the church, if we actually took it way back to the Greek, do you know what the church is? It's the people called out. It's the people who have been called out of the status quo into something more and into something new. And so when we say we have hope, that's because we do. Like we're, we're called out of what is all around us. We're called out into something new and beautiful. And in the moment, like in the moment, how does this feel for Mary and Joseph? On this journey, like imagine they, they move back to Israel and they're like, wait, Herod did what? What happened? And then there are 30 years of silence between chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Matthew in the story of Jesus. Like Joseph probably grows old and dies because he's not in the rest of the story. And I wonder how much of them they would have wrestled with. They'd been like, God, what are you doing right now? God, what are you doing in the middle of this? And Matthew gives us the answer because he's got one more Old Testament piece of the marinade going on. And that has to do with him being called the Nazarene. It says he, he goes to Nazareth because God makes him, right? The prophet said he would be a Nazarene. Now, I'm going to just give you the answer here because if you wanted to go home and start reading in Genesis and read several hundred pages looking through the prophets, and you got your little highlighter ready, and you're like, Andrew, where, where is he called a Nazarene? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. You're not going to find it. You're not going to find it, because Nazareth didn't exist when the prophets were writing. Does that mean, oh, Matthew misquoted the Old Testament. He doesn't know what he's doing. This whole thing, we'll just throw it away, and this is just silly faith stuff. No! Matthew is doing some ninja Old Testament references that make me as a Bible nerd look at him and go, well played, my friend. Well played. I see what you did there. Because in the darkest moment of Israel's history, when they were um, carted off as exiles to Babylon, there was a prophecy given that there would be a branch. There would be a shoot. That the stump would be cut down. Because here's what happens to olive trees. If they die off, you start to see that in the stump and in just this big old dead husk, there's these little tiny green shoots that start coming up. And those little tiny green shoots will eventually grow into a brand new tree out of the middle of this old thing that's dying. And what God tells his people is that in the face of hopelessness, in the face of hopeless situations where it looks like God has given up on you and you are down and out, God says, there will be a branch. There will be a shoot. There will be a netzer. And that is where we get the word for Nazareth, 
and the word for Nazarene. Because God has always said that in the hopelessness, in the moments when we are down and out. And so I, I think about this because like when it comes to moments where that career looks dead, like that marriage is dead, like that chance, like that hope, that business, that opportunity is dead. Well, guess what, guys? We take communion every week because we believe God makes dead things live. That's the point. God brings life into hopeless and dead situations. And that is the beginning of the book of Matthew. And so what Matthew's doing is he's showing us who Jesus is going to become. And so here's my point. Here's where I would, I would like to land this. I know I've thrown lots of Bible nerdy stuff at us, and I am going somewhere with this. Because I do believe that God calls us out of Egypt and into more. God calls us out of the status quo and into something new and beautiful. This week was the week of prayer and fasting. And we had lots of opportunities where our church was gathering together and we were praying and our big thing was, okay, so whatever would be normal for us to do with prayer, let's add some extra to that. So then we have extraordinary prayer and fasting. Whatever is ordinary, we're gonna add some extra to it. And what was really cool um, is we did this thing where people could stop by the church. I had the doors unlocked. The sanctuary was open from just 5.30, 6.30. On the way home from your commute, you could stop by and come pray. And going into that, I was like, you know what? There's probably going to be some nights where I just have some good private time with Jesus in the sanctuary. Um, and what I was so encouraged by is I never prayed alone because there were always people from this church that came in with me. And, and there was a moment where someone shared a scripture verse. They shared a psalm. And I'm like, what? This is in the Bible? I had no idea. This doesn't happen to me very often. Right, guys? Like, I'm like, what? This might be my new like, life verse. This might be my new psalm, guys. I'm vamping on this thing. This is not the first time you're going to hear this in an Andrew sermon. But in Psalm 107, it's this beautiful poem where he talks about, it starts, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from east and from west, from north and from south. And then it goes on to describe what this community of the redeemed, these people who are called out of the status quo to something new, this is what they look like. Because there were some people wandering in the desert. They had no purpose. They were wrestling with purposelessness. And here's, here's just what I see in the world that I'm walking in. Is I'm talking to 20-somethings, I'm talking to 30-somethings who have a lack of hope, a lack of a sense of purpose. And they say, Andrew, I don't even know what God's going to do with my life. I'm like, you're 20 years old. Like, God... You got the whole roadway in front of you. Like, God's got a plan for you. Like, he's doing something. So what does God do to the people who feel like it is over? Well, he takes the people wandering in the desert and he brings them to a city. He gives them a, a job and a sense of purpose and a reason to get out there, a reason to go after it. He gives them something to do and to create. And then there are people in prison. And I know... I know people 
who are stuck in prisons of addiction, of just repetitive thought patterns, of mental health disorders, of chronic things that pop up. It's like, I have no control over this. This feels like a prison. And what Psalm 107 says is God comes in and he breaks all those chains. He sets them free. And then there are people who are suffering because they made bad decisions. And I'm glad none of us have had that, right? Never had any suffering because of bad decisions that we have made. And what does God do when he looks at that group of people? He doesn't say, sorry, kid, you made your bed. Now lie in it, right? Sorry, kid. But God brings healing and deliverance to even the self-destructive things that we have done to mess up our lives. And then there are people on ships. And what that means to the guy who is writing the psalm is there are people who ride the waves of business. They ride the waves of self-esteem. And when things are going good, like you feel really good. But then what happens? Global pandemics hit. None of the revenue charts. None of the attendance charts. None of all any of that stuff is going up. And God comes to those people who have made fortunes and lost fortunes. And he comes in and he calms the storm. God brings them to a place of blessing. I think about the fact that when Matthew starts his gospel, um, he has Herod apostle some people. He sends them out. That's the Greek word for being commissioned and sent on a mission. And Herod sends these guys out to go do harm because he sent and had them go after, right, all the baby boys in Bethlehem. And how does Jesus' kingdom end in the book of Matthew? Is he sends his apostles to go set people free. He says, I've showed you this, like you're my disciples, so now you go and you go share this hope. Like you go be those people that are called out so that we can set the captive free. And so as I think about Psalm 107, I'm like, that's my marching orders this year. I want to go find people that are wandering in the desert. I want to go find people that are locked in prisons. I want to go find people that don't have hope and purpose. And I want to share Jesus with them. And I wonder, what could that look like for you? Because big idea, Jesus calls us out of Egypt and into more. So I don't know what the more is. Maybe that's a good opportunity in this next song for you to do some searching in your heart. God, where have you gifted me? God, where have you brought me out of difficult situations? And maybe some of the scars that we have and we can show how God has healed some of that. Maybe that's how we share healing with other people. There's a, a worship song on my iTunes playlist that sometimes blares in my car when I'm having a rough day. And there's a line in that song where it says, as you run, the things that hindered love will only become part of the story. And I wonder if those things that they've hindered love in our life, like they've hindered our ability to thrive and live as kingdom people. I wonder if those, like God's going to look at that and they're like, that's just part of the story, guys. I'm doing something. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We invite you to change us, to push on us, to grow us, to make everything different.
God, we pray um, that we would be a church that seeks people that are far from you. God, we would be a church that lives your kingdom values in this world. God, help us. Amen.